Our text this week from the book of Esther, chapter 3, Resolute Mordecai. A little bit from chapter 2, which I felt just kind of lent itself more towards chapter 3, so I put it in here, and so we'll pick that up, do the rest of chapter 3, and even a little bit of 4. When virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. Chapter 2, verse 20. Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. So again, we're studying the book of Esther historically, uh, also how it represents the Messiah. God's not mentioned at all, but the Messiah is in it throughout, God is in it throughout, and the various different characters in different ways at different times representing the coming of Messiah. And so here we see Esther being obedient, also how it should relate to us, how we as followers should uh, be by God's grace, by God's power. And so Esther, this is not the first time it says this, it said it in one of the earlier chapters, that, uh, that she obeyed Mordecai. Even as an adult now, she was still obedient to Mordecai, uh, as her cousin, and yet she was humble and willing to listen and willing to uh, take advice. And, um, and so again, good golly characteristics, to be humble, to be meek, to be submissive, uh, to the right people at the right time, um, and to be obedient to God, certainly, but again, also those that God has placed in positions in our lives. Now, here in the beginning, in verse 19, it said, when virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. So, we read earlier in chapter 1 that Mordecai, when Esther was taken into the king's court, uh, to, with the other ladies, the other virgins, the other young virgins, to have their time to go and before the king, uh, that Mordecai went every day to find out, towards the gate, to find out what was taking place in her life, see if he can get any news about her. So now here it's stating that when virgins were gathered together a second time, that Mordecai is now sitting within the king's gate. So I guess uh, I'm showing up there every day. Uh, someone said, hey, you want a job? <laughs> you know, or something that uh, they eventually hired him as a gatekeeper. And so now he is sitting at the gate. Maybe he checked the, uh, the job roles and says, uh, you know, figured, well, this is how I can get a little closer to Esther and find out what's going on. And so he is now just not a civilian coming and hanging out at the gate. He is now sitting at the gate in a position with, within the kingdom on the... Uh, on the government books. And so it also says, when virgins were gathered together a second time. Now it doesn't tell us when that was, but whoever wrote this was obviously writing to, the, to those who would know when that was. It's a reference, it's a time reference to let us know when Mordecai got this position as well as the next event that takes place. So there was a time when virgins were taken a second time. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but maybe uh, we saw it took four years from the time that Vashti is no longer queen to the king picking Esther to be the queen. And so maybe within that four-year period of time, he had uh, some virgins gathered and he went through who knows how many, 50, 100, <laughs> still haven't found one, go find some more for me and bring some more in. So we don't know if Esther was taken in the first uh, group or the second group, but it was a second gathering of young ladies to come and to be taken basically captive to to meet with the king and then either become the queen or to become one of his concubines. And so at that time period, in that, within that 
four years uh, is when this is taking place. Verse 21, in those days, the days that it just referenced, when the women were taken the second time, when Mordecai was sitting at the gate, in those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Big Fan and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So these two doorkeepers, Big Fan and Teresh, they become furious. We don't know why. Then tell us why. But so furious, they want to kill the king. They want to assassinate the king. Now there might be a little hint there of what they became furious about. You see it? What? They're eunuchs, that's right. That certainly can make someone furious enough to kill the king, right? So to get this wonderful job in the king's uh, palace, they had to become eunuchs, or they were forced to become eunuchs, or forced into that. And so they might have been taken captive from some battle, maybe from Greece or somewhere they were, they were taken, or their nation was overcome, and they become, and they are forced into this labor and to made uh, eunuchs to monitor at the king's gate. That could have been it. Could have been something else, who knows. But they're furious and they're wanting to lay hands on the king and kill the king. So the matter became known to Mordecai who told Queen Esther and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. So the matter became known to Mordecai. Doesn't tell us how. I uh, could have maybe overheard it, being there, sitting at the gate. Could have been, maybe they were trying to recruit him also. We don't know if Mordecai had to become a eunuch to get this position or not, uh, but uh, they might have tried to recruit him or maybe recruit others who worded it around. But somehow or another, Mordecai finds out about it, and he told Est, Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And that's kind of interesting. So it says Queen Esther, and then it just says Esther. And so she might have been Queen Esther when the story is recorded, but she might have been Esther when the event took place. Right? So that's why it might be worded both ways that way. So she's not queen yet. She might just be in the, in the, in the virgin quarters uh, with the virgin women. And um, Mordecai gets a message to her, and then she informs whoever needs to inform to get it to the king. Or she could be queen at this point. Maybe that gathering of the second virgins Maybe after she became queen, the, the king said, I still want some more concubines, and gathered some more women. Uh, you know, we don't know. But there, there was obviously, again, this time period is mentioned here. And Mordecai gets, and Esther puts it in Mordecai's name, which is interesting. Again, God's not mentioned, but there's all these events that take place that then find their importance later on in the account. And so we don't necessarily know why Esther put it in Mordecai's name, uh, which really, you know, when we think about it, was some way risky. Because what if these people were found innocent? Or not enough evidence to prove them guilty? Who's going to get the blame? Mordecai, yeah. yeah. Some, some places, you know, that uh, if you get bear false witness, then you get the penalty of what that other person would have gotten if they were guilty. So it's kind of risky to do. And actually backing up a little bit, when we think about this, Mordecai hears this plot to assassinate the king and he goes and he rats on these people who are planning it. Why? What would happen if these assassins got away with their murder? Well, they might have queen killed Esther, but if she's not queen yet, 
to be able to go home. Right? So this might have been a good thing. I, you know, king, Mordecai might have, in his carnal nature, said, well, hey, yeah, let's kill the king, and I can get my cousin back. I can free her, or even if she's queen. Let's, okay, you, you know, I'll help you kill him, but don't touch the queen. And then she still might be able to be released. And so there's really no real selfish motive for Mordecai to stop the killing of the king. But he had a moral conviction that injustice should, still should not be done. Even against someone who, in some, some way, some, someone who is in some ways my enemy. Who's taken my cousin and a whole bunch of hundreds of other women and basically enslaved them and took them away from their families and took them away from their hopes and plans of having a, a, a family and robbed them of that. I doubt the king was a likable person for their position and, and the heavy hand, making these people eunuchs and all this other stuff. But Mordecai did it just because it was the right thing to do. Because what these men were doing, planning, plotting, was the wrong thing to do. And there are times we just need to do the right thing. Even if we don't necessarily have the motives to do the right thing, other than because before God, it is the right thing to do. And then we see Mordecai, so we see the character of Mordecai here also, of doing the right thing with no gain for himself and maybe even loss for himself. Respecting authority, that's right. Yeah. Because, again, if, Queen, if Esther had not yet gone in before the king, and he is not assassinated, and she has her time, and she's not chosen as queen, that's even worse. She just then becomes another concubine in the king's court. And so really there's no real motive for Mordecai to keep the king alive other than just doing what is right before God. And yet he does it. And so he informs the queen, and the queen does so in Mordecai's name, at the risk of Mordecai. She could say it's anonymous, a lot of different ways, but she puts it in the name of Mordecai, which again becomes very significant later on. Verse 23, still chapter 2. When an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of Chronicles, in the presence of the king. So everything's recorded. There's chronicles. And again, Mordecai was risking his life of experiencing what these guys did being hung if it was born false. Chapter 3, verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadiah, boo, boo, the son of Hamadiah, the Agathite, Agathite, Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. Now, we don't know where this guy comes from. He's not mentioned in chapter 1 when the king has all of his princes there with him. But he, uh, I should say that the, uh, any resemblance between ancient Haman and a modern-day wicked person is purely accidental. And if this gets censored, well, hey, you know, that's how it goes, right? Anyway, so, he comes out of nowhere, is seemingly, because in chapter 1, he is not mentioned among the seven princes that are there at the party with the king. His close counselors, when he 
Well, what are we going to do about Queen Vashti? His name is not mentioned. So where does he come from, kind of out of the blue, to rise up above these other seven princes to get this position, this high position, in the king's court? We don't know. This guy comes there, and he gets promoted, advanced him, and set his seat above all of the princes, which I can't imagine made any of those princes happy. So how did he get to his position? Maybe paid for it. Who knows how he got to his position? But he does. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him, but Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Now, we don't have any record of the king commanding that for himself, that everyone had a bow, but maybe they did, and that wouldn't be surprising. But we don't have any mention of anyone having to bow for all the seven princes. But for Haman, and maybe that was part of the condition that he made in putting me in this position, I want everyone to bow to me. And there's no mention of Mordecai not bowing to the king or not bowing to Memokin or anyone else. But only Haman. That was something maybe that Haman wanted and requested of the king, and the king allowed it and made this decree that everyone has to bow before him. So everyone's bowing, except Mordecai, but Mordecai would not bow down and pay homage. And again, we see the character of Mordecai, willing to stand for God at the risk of his life in order to obey God. To not break the second commandment, not to bow down to anything on heaven and earth and to worship it. And he's not willing to do that. He's not willing to allow that to happen to him. And so he does not bow down. He refuses to bow down. And God calls us to also take a stand and to stand for the right. To stand for truth. To stand for righteousness for his kingdom, for his kingdom's sake, regardless. And you might be in a situation right now where someone might be, and maybe even someone in authority, right? And Mordecai, Esther obeyed the authority. Mordecai is willing to obey the authorities unless they go over the line of getting us to disobey God. And the Bible is very clear and has the balance of both, where it tells us to obey the authorities of the land it also tells us to obey God and God first and foremost. So anytime a law, whether it's a government or a boss or a spouse or a friend or a parent or a child who asks us to disobey God, we need to obey God. Even if it's a loss of a job, loss of a friend, loss of life, imprisonment, loss of liberties, we need to obey God. And Mordecai is willing to do that. And I believe this book is prophetic, and I believe a time is going to be coming. There's many parts in the world today where people are having to make a choice between obeying God and obeying the courts in the land. And I believe it will come worldwide. It will come here. And we will need to make, take our stand. It's important for us to make the choice to take that stand now. Between us and God. To choose to obey God. God, give me the strength to stand at that time. It's easier to make that choice now, <laughs> in this setting, than when it's all coming down. 
We're under the pressure. So yeah, as I continue on, make your choice, God. Make me faithful then. I choose now for you to make me faithful then. Verse 3, the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily and he would not listen to them that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. Some very interesting things in this passage. Mordecai tells them he's a Jew. So it wasn't that he was ashamed that he told Esther, don't tell anyone of your parentage and of your heritage and that you're a Jew. I don't know why he told her that. But he told her to say that, but for him, he didn't. So it wasn't just across the board, this hiding, this, you know, he just didn't assimilate and just to, you know, deny our Judaism. He was Jewish and proud to be Jewish, and proud to obey God, and proud to let other people know this is why he obeys God. But for whatever reason, he had Esther not reveal everything all at one time. And we need that wisdom to know we shouldn't lie, but there's times to say, say things and there's times not to say things. And for her, that was not the time. Later on she does, but at this point, it was not the time. For him, he let it be known. I'm not bowing down because I'm Jewish and the Bible says, the Torah says, the Ten Commandments say, do not bow down and pay homage. So he used it as a witnessing opportunity as well. Now it's interesting also here, it says, the servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily. This is an ongoing thing. And they're talking to him every single day. Why don't you bow down? Why don't you bow down already? Why don't you bow down? Why don't you be like the rest of us? Why can't you just do like we're doing? And you know, when we're outside of God, we hate it when someone is obeying God. And we're not. It just irks our human nature. That someone's obedient when we're not. It brings conviction to us. And so they're wanting him to come to the dark side with them. Oh, daily. And he would not listen to them. And that they told it to Haman. Which means, now when we do our plays, we kind of, you know, shorten the whole thing to time and all like that. And, and, and so we have, you know, Haman walked before Mordecai and he sees him and he gets angry. But here, according to this, Haman didn't even notice. This has been going on daily, and Haman, you know, he's so proud of himself, he's looking up in the air, you know, he's busy doing his thing. He's not even noticing Mordecai there in the crowd, not bowing down. These people, these other gatekeepers, had to tell it to him. So they, Morde they, they nag Mordecai daily, 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 daily. Mordecai still refuses, he doesn't bow down, he doesn't bow down, he doesn't get, yield to them. He says, I'm a Jew, the Bible says, the Torah says, the commandments say. So they get tired of it. It's not working. We're not going to get him over. So let's go and tell Haman and see what Haman's going to do about this. So they had to tell Haman. And there are people in your life who will not be happy with your stand for God. And they will bug you and they will bug you and they will bug you. Why do you have to eat that way? Why can't you eat like the rest of us? Why can't you watch what we're watching? Why can't you just joke around with us? Why can't you talk like we do? Why can't you curse like we do? Why can't you act like we do? Why can't you go out on, on your Sabbath? Why can't you do this on Sabbath? Why can't you try and get us to live like they do? 
And they will pester us and pester us and pester us. We need to be loving. We need to be kind. We need to be sincere. And yet we still need to keep our stance with God. Whether it bothers them or not, it's really their problem, not our problem. But they will also, at times, go and try and find some other authority figure and try and get them to force us to disobey God as well. Whether it's some boss or some supervisor or somewhere up the ranks. That's where the Bible predicts that siblings will turn over siblings and children will turn over parents and parents over children. Take us to court. And right now, in some states, the government is asking neighbors to tattle and to rat and to snitch on their neighbors. I think they have more than 10 in their house. Go and look inside. That's illegal search and seizure. According to the Constitution. That's what the government is asking people to do. Neighbors against neighbors. Getting us to turn on each other and tattle on each other. It's horrible, the state of situation that's taking place in our country. And again, other parts of the world have already been there and doing that. And so that's what's happening here. These other gatekeepers. Say, okay, Mordecai, that's his deal. You know, maybe one day he'll get in trouble. Maybe Haman will see him someday. And you know, they had to get involved as well. And that's the carnal nature. And if you see yourself participating in that feeling, you're not finding yourself gossiping, finding yourself uh, tattling on people unnecessarily and unrighteously. Yeah, it's one thing someone wants to kill the king. That's another thing this person just doesn't want to bow down. And maybe you've gotten involved in that. Maybe currently, maybe in the past. God brings conviction. Confess it, surrender it to the Lord, give it over to him, and accept his forgiveness. And allow God to cleanse your record because of the sacrifice of the Messiah. And similarly, when I introduced Haman, the son of Hamadiah, the Agathite, where does he come from? Well, we go back 600 years prior to the book of Esther, and there was a king, Agag, Agag, Ag, A-G-A-G, Agag, 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 right? Popeye, Agag, 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 And uh, God had told King Saul to go and kill and wipe out all the Agagites. And he went to battle with them. Because God had told them that, and not that God hates them, or God is, but they had gotten to the point, and God knows, God knows the hearts, that they would never turn to God, that they would never surrender, they were in full rebellion, and always would be in rebellion against God. And so he told them to go wipe out every male, every female, every child, every animal, totally blotted out of the face of the earth. Now again, it's not that God hates the animals, but it, he just needed to clean the slate. And even if there would be a child or anyone who would be saved, well, God, again, death on this earth is not the end. 
God needed Saul to do that. God has his reasons. God knows what's right and what's wrong. And even that might seem unright and unfair to the sensitivities of today, God still knows better than we do. And here's a prime example of why and how God knows the future as well. Because King Saul doesn't obey. He does win the battle. But they take some of the animals with them and when Samuel the prophet and the king, King Agag, and when Samuel shows up, he says, what's this animal? I told you to obey. Why didn't you obey? Well, we did obey. Well, then why do I hear the animals? Oh, those animals. Well, we took some because we're going to give them as offerings to God. And even if that was true, it's not what God asked. God didn't ask us to do beyond what he's told us to do. God didn't ask us to decide what is good and what is right and what is favorable. When he says to do something, our job is to obey because he knows what's best. And if they let the animals, some of the animals live, and they let the king live, I have no doubt that he let some of the women live and maybe some of the others live. And when Samuel sees the king, Agag, there, he cuts him down and slaughters him right there on the spot. And king Saul eventually loses his position as king as a result of his disobedience. And so even though Samuel comes and kills King Agag, Obviously, someone survived. That Haman is still around and able to track his lineage back to an Agathite. And this whole Esther story would not have taken place with almost the total annihilation of every Jewish person on the face of the earth if it was not for Saul, not doing what God told him to do. We can't see 600 years into the future, but God does. And God knows, and God knew. And who knows how many other problems took place in those 600 years because Saul did not do, King Saul did not do what God told him to do. Turn on Abraham. Abraham thought he knew better than God. Has a child with his concubine at Hagar but you shouldn't have had a concubine to begin with. And we're still having problems today, many situations in the world today, are as a result of that one sin. We may justify, we may reason in our mind, oh, it's just this one time, and oh, I need to provide for my family, and oh, God certainly doesn't want me to die, or God certainly doesn't want my family to suffer, or God certainly wouldn't be concerned, but God's word says what it says. And it's not for us to try and self-justify it for our own purposes and our own reasons. And we may not see the results of it right here and now. It may not be for hundreds of years before the results of that disobedience plays out. And even if we repent and receive God's forgiveness, which is important for us to do, the results, and I believe Abraham repented, the results might still linger on for years, for centuries. How important it is for us to pray and receive God's forgiveness, receive God's grace so that we don't disobey. But if God's bringing something to your mind of some area where you compromised, where you disobeyed God in any area, and again, you might not see, be seeing the results now, but maybe it was just a bad example to somebody else. 
And you might have repented and you might have gotten your life straight. And you might not even know where that person is or didn't even know that person to begin with, but they were there in the shadows and they saw and now they followed suit and your bad example has left a seed that is affecting someone else, possibly for eternity. Important for us to repay, pray and receive God's forgiveness because of the grace of Messiah dying in our behalf. And if God's bringing anything to your mind, any part in the history, your past, in your history or current, Confess it to the Lord. Receive his forgiveness because of Yeshua's death for you and ask him to fill you with his spirit to move on and not disobey again. And also ask him to clean the record regarding wherever else it influenced and for him to lay that at the root and to stop the evil influence that has spread as a result of that. Maybe it was your influence upon your children, or upon your neighbors, or upon other work associates, or your family members, siblings. Ask God to cleanse it and to stop it. Verse 5, when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Esherus, the people of Mordecai. And so again, he didn't even see it at first, but after they bring it to his attention, then next time he's riding through there, he takes notice, oh yeah, just like those guys said, he's not bowing down. And they had told him, so it was more than just one person, they had told him that he was Jewish. And so Haman doesn't want to kill just Mordecai, he either knows the history of what Saul and Samuel did to the Agathites, or he just figures that, hey, if this one is like that, they must all be that way. And if that's why they won't bow down to me because of their religion, then I need to get rid of all of them. And that's what he determines to do. And this is really the first time in history that we had this. I mean, we've had persecution, Satan has persecuted God's people down through the ages, but not to this extent. The Egyptians just enslaved us. The Babylonians just captured, killed many, but then took the rest as slaves and, and dispersed us throughout their kingdom. Later on, the Romans enslave us as well and disperse us as well. But this is one of only two instances in the history where there is a desire to totally annihilate every single Jewish person in the world. This time, and Hitler. Verse 7, in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is, the lot, before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. So they classed pur, that's where we get the word uh, lot, lot means, rather lot means pur, is where we get the name for purim. Pur means one single lot, purim means lots. So the casting of the lots, purim, and that's where we get the name for the holiday that we celebrate in the spring, purim. Now it says here, this took place in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus. How many years has Esther been queen? Very good, who got it? 
Done. Very good. All right. Congratulations. All right. Give me an extra bagel. All right. Very good. Congratulations. Yes. If you gave me your paying attention last week, uh, the party with Vashti took place in the third year of his reign. He gets rid of her, and then Queen Esther, Esther's crowned queen in the seventh year of his reign. So again, it took four years for him to choose a queen. Again, we do the play, and it's boom, 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 in a half hour. And yet it was, here we're at nine years into the story, and we're still just in chapter three. And so it's five years she's queen. And Esther, nor Mordecai, know why she's been called to the queen. Why she was taken, why she was placed in this position. And Mordecai's sitting at the gate maybe for close to five years, give or take. Now, so then how long does the rest of the book, the rest of the seven sub-chapters take place? Anyone know? I'm not going to tell you if you don't know. You'll have to wait till we get to chapter 10 maybe. But how, how much longer? It's right there. How much longer? Twelve, eleven, eleven months. Eleven months. So the next several chapters all take place within the next eleven months because it ends with them getting to the time when they were to kill all the Jews. So God picked a month when they were casting lots. God had it come out on the very farthest it can go. <laughs> it can't get any further. God gave him as, as much time as possible for Esther to be able to come before the queen. Esther to come before the king. Again, God's providence in that. So Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other people's and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that, may be, that they may be destroyed and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. Okay, it's a pretty long statement. This is a sell to the king. What does he leave out? What important detail did he leave out? Not so much a reason. Well, yes, he left out reason. Well, he said because their laws are different than your laws, so they're not obeying your laws. They got their own laws. Who they were. Oh, I forgot to mention who they were. <laughs> Yeah, there was the Jews, just a certain people, right? There's a certain people. Oh, and they're scattered. You know, they're just all over the place. And, but they're disobedient to you. And a king, again, maybe thinking, I'm sure he had other attempts at assassination. He had an uprising, historians tell us, in Babylon, in Egypt. And so, oh, there's, other, there's some more people in our kingdom. He's got a vast kingdom, 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. Oh, my, there's a rebellion in the, in the land. There's, there's some um, people who want to make their own laws and not the laws of the Medo-Persians. They want to establish their own laws within our land? Well, certainly that's treason. Certainly that's rebellion against the kingdom. No, they have to be eliminated. But again, Mordecai and every, all the rest of the Jews were obedient in all areas of the laws of the Medo-Persians as long as they did not disagree with God's laws. But the way he makes it sound like they just running their own little country within your country in opposition and rebellion against you. And he's willing to give money. Hey, you're not even going to have to put up any money to get rid of them. I'll pay for the getting rid of them. I'll pay for their destruction. 
That's a win-win. Get rid of the rebels, it doesn't cost us anything. And again, under that type of a kingdom situation, it makes sense. He's your second in command, you trust him. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadiah, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. And the king says, okay, give them the ring. The signet ring, go make your law, go pay for it, and have at it. Thanks for cleaning out the kingdom of the rebels. Seems like a good thing to the king. Hands off, doesn't have to worry about it. The king's scribes were called in on the 13th day of the month. Of the first month, the decree was written according to all that Haman commanded to the king's surtraps and the governors who were over each province to the officials of all the people, to every province according to its script, and to every people in their language, in the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. The letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, to plunder their possessions, and a copy of this document was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all people, that they should be ready for that day. So, and historians tell us that, uh, that Persia was the first, or one of the first, to have a postal system, a nationwide postal system, and it was, again, a big nation. Huge, the largest up till that point in time in history. And they were able to communicate and keep communication going, right, before internet, by this service. And I'm sure it would take a while for the message to go that far to Ethiopia, to India, and to all the outskirts of the country. And so the, the, the couriers are taking it out with haste and to get the message to the land. And it gives them an incentive to go and kill the Jews it's not just that he's depending on the military to do it, but he'll get the civilians to do it. I'll tell you what, you get to keep the plunder. Go kill them and you get their possessions. You always wanted that house, you always wanted a little bit more land. Right? You know, the farmer doesn't want all the land in the world, he just wants the ones next to him. Right? So he just went after another, oh yeah, oh yeah, always, he's got a nice pond next on his, and so, hey, this gives him the opportunity to do so. Go and kill him with the law, with the, with the king's permission, and you get to keep all their stuff. Yeah, like the Nazis did also. Took the land, took the houses, took the paintings, took the possessions, the menorahs, the silver, the gold, everything. And so again, Bible matching up with history, saying they sent it out. Historians telling us they had a massive postal service. Bible saying they had eunuchs. We talked about the assassins. Historically, King Ahasuerus, he dies because his, the commander of his bodyguards and the eunuch kills him. So there was assassins and eunuchs and postal service. Again, the Bible is very accurate in its account. It gives us the dates, the years, the months of all these events. And while this is going out to all the land, people inside the 
palace area have no idea what's even going on. As we'll find out in the next chapter, the queen doesn't even know. All the other concubines, they didn't even know. The king doesn't even really know what's going on. He doesn't see these edicts. And so poor Queen Esther, these concubines, they don't even get to leave the little confines of their area. She's not able to go and visit Mordecai on the weekends. She's stuck there. And at least she's queen. And so this decree to go forth and kill, the Bible prophesies again, Esther is more than just a historical book, as we're looking at it historically, more than just a typology of the Messiah. We're seeing characteristics of Esther, characteristics of Mordecai, such as God, pointing forward to God. Let's get a little picture of God. Not only as examples to us on how we need to live godly lives, but also prophetically for these last days, when there will be those who will not be happy with our obedience to God's commandments, who will be under conviction because of it, and who will try to persuade us to disobey God, and when they can't do it, will get the authorities and the law to do so. As it says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, the dragon was enraged with the woman, like Haman enraged with Mordecai and the Jewish people, and went to make war, bloodshed, killing, with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yeshua the Messiah. This unique and specific characteristics of combination, these two aspects, keeping the commandments of God and having faith in Yeshua. Law and mercy, truth and righteousness, blending together, coming together. And that's embodiment of God. Yeshua is the balance of truth and mercy. Him dying for us. He died because the law said death needs to be punishment for sin. And yet in that mercy, in that act, there's mercy spread towards us that we receive forgiveness of sins. The Ten Commandments, the law of God, placed in the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat above it. God's throne. Mercy and grace, law and truth, blended together. In this combination of obeying the laws of God by God's grace and having faith in Yeshua enrages Satan more than anything else. And he will go make war. And as it says in John chapter 16, verse 2, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. There will come a time where there will be a death decree against God's people. Now, I don't believe the nation's going to jump from freedom and constitutional to death decree, but little by little, the freedom's eroded. Step by step, little laws, little enactments to bow down, to disobey here, to disobey there. And when that doesn't work, pressure and peer pressure, getting the neighbors 
on you with motives. Well, you don't want to hurt anyone else. You don't want anyone else to die. It's a, it's a godly thing to sometimes disobey God in order for the good of others. Right? Isn't that what they said in killing Yeshua? Better that one dies than all the rest of us to suffer and all the world to suffer, for the nation to suffer. So just compromise and get along. It'll stop the pandemic. It'll stop the pollution. It'll stop whatever they come up with. It'll help us to win the war or whatever it is that is the turning point. National and world unity will become more important than obeying the word of God. And so there'll be small little legislations and peer pressure. And then as the Bible says, well, you can't buy and you can't sell, so just commerce pressure, little by little. Like the Nazis did. It didn't go from Hitler being voted in to concentration camps overnight. It was little by little. They can't go to schools anymore. They can't have certain jobs anymore. They can't have businesses anymore. Businesses marked. People being identified. Being restricted in their movements, little by little by little. And Crystal Knock just busting the windows of the businesses, burning their books, looting their stores. Little by little pressure. Censoring their communication and their talk. Pressurizing, pressurizing, pressurizing. And then when that does not cause us to yield, they'll just ramp it up and ramp it up and ramp it up. Until, as it says, they will kill us, thinking they're doing God's service. So again, it's not going to be the irreligious. It's going to be the so-called religious, the professed religious, thinking they're obeying God, justifying and obeying God. But as the story of Esther is not over yet, it won't be over at that point either. God will have the last say. And God's deliverance will come. And as we will see in the book of Esther, it'll be at the last minute. As we see with Moses and Pharaoh, it'll be at the last minute. As we see with Daniel and his friends, it's at the last minute. But God will come through and will deliver his faithful people who endure to the end. There'll be some martyrs along the way. You know, this is not your typical peace and safety uh, sermon, but the Bible says when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come. But I think better to warn us of the reality of what is coming than to be deceived and not expecting it and not prepared for it. But God will see us through. God will take us through because he wants a witness in the earth to the very end. He wants the people without guile in their mouth, who are able to be a bride without spot, without wrinkle, who have not compromised, who have not yielded, who have not bowed down to Satan, and who stand as a light in the dark world. Who stand for truth, who stand for God, who stand for his laws, who stand for his name, who stand for Yeshua, who have faith in Yeshua, and are able to testify, God was enough. God saw us through. God will spare us, and he will come back for his bride, and he will destroy those who try to destroy us. God will be our defense. He will be our shield. 
And again, even if some of us die along the way, that's okay. They actually have the easy part. <laughs> but God will give us endurance, and it will be a time. I don't know how long. It'll be relatively short. But like here, this, this time from this decree, the message is going out. It was 11 months. I'm sure that was a very long 11 months for Mordecai and the others. It might only be 11 months, but that could be a very long time. But God will see us through. God will take us through. And so how does Mordecai respond to this? Oh, not yet. Chapter 3, it's still verse 15. And the couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan, the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. So they're sitting down, they're drinking. Again, the king doesn't even really know what actually just took place. Haman's kind of excited about it. And so they're drinking together, they're having another party. Okay, there's about seven parties in this book. But the city is perplexed. They can't understand it. Like a lot of the Germans in, in Germany, seeing this going on, seeing the smoke out of the smokestack, seeing the building, the businesses being looted, and built, but, but felt helpless, perplexed. But we're going to need to take a stand. We're going to need to take a stand. We can't just sit idly by and close our eyes. We won't be excused in God's judgment for hiding truth, for denying what's taking place before our eyes, for being neutral when God's called us to stand and take a side. And so, how does Mordecai respond to this? Chapter 4, verse 1, When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. Very interesting. He didn't say, Oh, well, God's in control. Everything's going to be all right. He didn't say, Well... The Bible promises, the prophecies say that the Messiah is going to come through our line. So obviously we're going to survive anyway. So we don't have to worry about this. He didn't say, well, God raises up kings and takes down kings. God can raise up a different king, bring down this one, bring down Mordecai, Haman. He didn't say, well, hey, we got Esther there. Everything's going to be all right. He prayed, fasted, and praying with sackcloth and ashes. And so even though we know the end of the story, we still need to be in prayer. We still need to have ourselves covered under the righteousness of Messiah. We need to allow God to be searching our hearts and making sure there's nothing in us. And we need to be praying so that God's will is done in earth, on earth as it is in heaven. We still need to be praying for God to be able to work. God is able to do things as a result of prayer that he is not able to do without prayer. The Bible says he will provide for all our needs according to his riches and glory, but it also says you have not because you ask not. God answers prayer. We need to be in prayer, and we need to not wait till then. We need to be in prayer now. Praying again for God to cleanse our hearts, 
praying that God uses us to warn others and to get the message out there so that others will be able to be, respond and come to the Lord before the pressure cooker time when it'll be hard to, for them to accept. We need to be getting that message out now when we have the freedom to do so and we have the means to do so before we are censored, before we're shut up, before we're blocked off. Because Yeshua again told us, work while it is day, for night is coming when no one will be able to work. There will be a time where we will not be able to work for the Lord. We need to work now. We need to get the message out now. We need to live for God. We need to be ready. We need to stay ready. And we need to get other people ready. Now is the time. And so, as we prepare to pray, Any area applies to your life from what we've read today? Maybe God has called you to take a stand in your life. Maybe there's some area currently right now where you're being asked to choose between right and wrong, between God and disobedience to God. You need the courage to stand for that right. Then in the moment when we pray, ask God to give you that courage, to give you that strength, to give you that backbone, to give you his Holy Spirit. Secondly, maybe, maybe you're not going through something like that right now. But in the future, it will. Might be something small, might be something on the job, might be something in your home, maybe something in your neighborhood. Might be something worldwide, nationwide. But pray now and ask God to give you the strength for later. Third, maybe there's an area in your life where you have compromised in the past. And like Saul, you did not do what God called you to do. And you want God's forgiveness, if you have not already repented of that, in the moment when we pray, if God's bringing something to your mind, then confess it, accept the Messiah's sacrifice for the cleansing of that and the removal of that. And maybe God's calling you, like Esther, to obey someone that God has placed in your authority with wisdom and knowledge. Be meek and humble as she was. Ask God to give you that character to live right and to do right and to be right with God. Maybe you're under pressure from others, peer pressure, as Mordecai was, peer pressure day in and day out. They're nagging you to disobey God or compromise or little area. Ask God to give you the strength. Mordecai did not, the Bible didn't say, Mordecai got rude with them, you know, and yelled at them and denounced them. He maintained his integrity. He maintained his witness. He maintained his life. But he still did not yield. So may God make us friendly and all that is within our power to be at peace with all men while we continue to remain faithful to God. That balance of both. And if you're needing that balance, let's ask God to give us that balance. To give us mercy as well as truth. To give us kindness as well as the determination to obey God. We can have both, not one or the other. We need to have both. So if that's what you're needing, then the moment when we pray, let's ask God to do so. And also if, what we're kind of discussing here and other times, if this makes you fearful of the future, surrender the fear to the Lord. We don't have anything to fear. The only thing we have to fear is if we forget how God has worked in the past. 
And God has been faithful time and time. History repeats itself over and over again. It's been time and time and time again to do this to God's people. We should not be surprised that it will happen again, especially at the end, when Satan is going around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may be devoured. To deny that would be kind of ludicrous looking at history of 6,000 years of his, of his antics. So we should expect it, but we don't have to fear it. Because just as he has persecuted time and time again, God has come through time and time and time again. The Pharaohs are gone, the Hamans are gone, the Nazis are gone, and we remain. God has sustained us and will continue to sustain us. Now the spirit of the Pharaohs and the spirit of the Hamans and the spirit of the Nazis is still around. But God is still around and there are more on God's side maybe not human-wise, but in the heavenly, there are more on God's side than are against us. And so we don't have to fear, we don't have to worry, we don't have to care, we have to pray, we have to be in prayer, but we don't have to fret. Trusting in the Lord. And so, if you've been fearful, surrender that to the Lord and trust in Him. Rest in Him. And remain faithful and continual in prayer in him. Any of those areas apply to you? Surrender them to the Lord, give them to the Lord, and let us trust in him. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we do praise your name and we do thank you, Lord, for faithful Mordecai and faithful Esther, faithful examples of what we can be and make us like them. We're thankful, Lord, for your history in our past, of your deliverance time and time again. We're thankful, Lord, you will deliver us in the end as well. Thank you for demonstrating faithfulness of people down through the ages. Thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness. Thank you for cleansing us. Thank you for conviction. Cleanse our hearts and minds of all our past wrongs. Cleanse our current weaknesses. Fill us with your spirit and make us strong in you. Make us loving in you. Make us steadfast in you and make us merciful in you. Live in us and through us. And may people see that dual character in us that is in you. Make us obedient to your laws and give us faith in Yeshua, our Messiah. Thank you, Lord God, King of the universe, Heavenly Father, for fulfilling these things in our lives. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.